Get to work. Jesus' name. We're doing uh, kingdom culture. So we're talking about the culture of heaven, talking about how we are a people that are not of this culture. As Jesus said, we are in the world, but we are not of it. And so we are called to transform culture. And the mandate upon the life of the believer is to take the things of heaven and make them known upon the earth. Again, as the Lord says, on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray in unity with that. We pray in unison with that. Hey, Heinrich, can you record this service? Is that possible? It is? We're on good. All right. And so we pray on earth as it is in heaven, just like the Lord asked us to, and then we begin to embody this culture. So if we are not of this culture and we are of another culture, it behooves us to understand the type of culture that we are from or that we're to operate from in the spirit. So we've been talking about this the last few weeks, and today we're going to talk about faith. Heaven is the culture of faith. And if you've ever heard that before or ever understood that before, one of the cultural contexts of heaven or of the kingdom where our Lord is, releases to us is from faith. So we're going to talk about what is faith, why it's important, where it comes from, what faith requires, and how to activate that. All in 40 minutes. And that's going to be awesome. So one of the first things we have to understand is faith is the currency of heaven. Heaven is not moved by human need. I know that's hard for us. It's hard for us to understand and kind of grasp sometimes. I have all these keys in my pocket. I'm just going to put them right here. I'm like, I feel like my pants are falling down with these keys. Anyway, <laughs> it's better than my zipper being open, which it's not. That's a good thing. <laughs> so faith is the currency of heaven. Heaven is not moved by human need. Human need was dealt with at the cross, and now the Lord has released it in and through his spirit. And so we express by faith, we activate by faith the resources that are available to us. And one of the things we have to understand about faith is faith is not a feeling. We think that faith isn't a feeling, or we think it's this abstract expression that we just kind of put it out there and we just go, there it is, I have faith in Jesus, as if it were something that's kind of like intangible or just kind of out there or separated from who we are. Faith is currency. We express faith. We have to understand what faith is, why it's important, where it comes from. Hebrews 11 is the greatest chapter in the Bible, some would say, on faith. The entire chapter is based on faith. If you were here a few weeks ago, it's not necessarily the root of the chapter is not necessarily faith. It begins with hope because hope is what breeds faith. We have to understand that too. We'll more in a moment. But Hebrews 11, the entire context of that chapter is talking about faith. But in order to understand chapter 11, you have to understand chapter 10. Everybody say that with me. In order to understand chapter 11, come on, we have to understand chapter 10. So I'm going to give you a summary of chapter 10. What is chapter 10 saying? Because what Paul is doing or what the writer is doing is trying to take the people of God. That's you. Okay. The Bible is written for you. It's not a history book. It's a book of application. It's a book of life. It's a book of understanding. It's a book of promises. That's what the Bible is. And so what the writer of Hebrews is trying to do is move the people into faith, move the people into the expression of faith and into the power of faith. And in order for them to do that, he has to give them an understanding. And so in chapter 10, he's moving them from one world into another. And so in chapter 10, he talks about the law being a shadow. The law, what is the law? Summarized in the Ten Commandments. The purpose of the law, God gave a law, and what happens, sin separated man from God. Sin still separates man from God apart from Christ. Those, not everybody in the world is saved. If people do not know Jesus, they are still separated from God, separated from the knowledge, separated from the life, separated from the purposes of God. 
The reason God gave the law in the Old Testament was to create a system to restore intimacy. Understand that? Intimacy from the context of the scripture, from the context of God, is into me you see. So the whole idea was to bring man back into the knowledge of who he is and bring man back into the knowledge of who God is. So God creates this Old Testament system and the purpose of the system was to create and restore intimacy with him. But it was imperfect. And so you say, how can a perfect God create an imperfect system? Because God created a temporary system in order for him to bring the perfect system, who is Jesus. So the law or the Ten Commandments and the sacrifices were given only as a shadow. We have a lot of Christians who want to worship the Old Testament way. The days past. We are on the dawn of the new day. We do not worship according to commands and precepts and blood sacrifice. There's already been the sacrifice. The Sabbath has been fulfilled. Everything has already been accomplished. As a Christian, you have to understand this. This is a concept. This is a good filter for you to understand because it seems as though, and this is where people will argue, that there's a contradiction within the Scripture. Well, what you have to realize is that the cross, everybody say this to me, the cross defines everything. The cross is the filter for everything. So Jesus' sacrifice is what defines, and Jesus' sacrifice is what shifts and gives us understanding. So there are things in the Old Testament that made it through the cross. There are things in the Old Testament that stopped at the cross, and there are things in the Old Testament that were changed by the cross. Do you understand this? So while we in the New Testament see some realities of the Old Testament, some things came through. Some things were changed. Some things stopped. Sabbath law has stopped. Blood sacrifice has stopped. Davidic worship made it through. Okay? Tithing made it through, but was altered. The Sabbath made it through, but was altered. Okay? Do we understand that? So the Sabbath, where God was mandating one day, now every day is under the Lord. Every day is a day of worship, where it was prescribed for them one day. Now Sabbath made it through the cross, but it was changed. This will change some Seventh-day Adventists in the room if you can get this concept. <laughs> you know, we have Christians who believe that we still need to worship on the Mosaic Sabbath day. That is not according to the New Testament. And it's because they don't understand correct theology and the correct theology of what made it through the cross. Tithing made it through the cross. Oh, it made it through the cross. While it's no longer mandated, it's to be given as a free will offering. But God never took tithing away. That's why Christians go, it was under the law. Well, you don't understand that you don't understand the gospel from the concept of what the cross does. Tithing made it through. And now we give cheerfully. We don't give under mandate. And, if, and I always tell this to Christian. If tithing was the standard under, under, under law, what's the standard under grace? If grace elevates us and tithing was mandated at 10% for the people of God under law, what should we give under grace? Should we give any less? As someone told me one time, to give less is a disgrace. That is not honoring grace. You're disgracing the grace, but you are to give it freely. God's not handcuffing you, putting you in a full Nelson, you know, to make you give. If you don't want to give, you don't have to give, but you're under grace. You will not activate the principles of the kingdom and the glory according to the financial principles without doing it. Just the plan. So we've got to understand our, we've got to understand our theology. We've got to understand what happened within the cross. We understand some things made it through, some things were changed, and some things stopped. 
Cross defines everything. The law was a shadow. It was purposed to restore intimacy. Blood sacrifice would never satisfy. This is what Hebrews 10 says. The sacrifice of blood and goats, I have no pleasure in it. It doesn't satisfy. And then we have the next verse in Hebrews 10 where Jesus says, Lo, I come in what is written of me in the volume of the books to do your will. So what it says is that the blood sacrifice of the animals would not satisfy man's sin. Jesus arises and says, I'll do it for them. That's the idea of the New Testament. That's the idea of what's going on in chapter 10. So we have to understand that the law was for a season and a time, and God declared that it won't satisfy. Jesus arises and says, Lo, I will go in what is written for in the volume of the books. So we have the law was a shadow. So the, the Ten Commandments have been fulfilled. There were five Levitical sacrifices. The, sacrifice, the people were required to operate this way. There were five sacrifices. You had a sin offering, you had a meal offering, you had a peace offering, and you had a trespass offering. The sin offering was your generic offering for sin just so that you could stay in acceptance with the Lord. The meal offering was something that was to be eaten with the sin offering and with the peace offering. So we have the sin offering, we have the meal offering, which means when you offer your sacrifice for sin, you're just supposed to eat a meal while you're in the temple. That was the idea. You're supposed to bring grain, and the, the priest would cook you up a little cake, throw you some steaks, some lamb burgers on the barbecue. It would go up to the Lord, and you would sit down and eat a portion of what you brought before the Lord with the Lord, and it symbolized the restoration of fellowship. So the sin offering was to be taken with the meal offering to restore fellowship. Well, Jesus is our sin offering. And now we come and eat the bread of heaven, and we can have restored fellowship with the Lord because he's already done it. The peace, so the meal offering, the peace offering was just an offering that said, Jesus, I love you. Huh? I love you. I adore you. Therefore, I give you this. I give you this not because you require it of me, not because I want to, or not because I give it to you because I want to. I make this offering with you because I love you. And the Lord says, cool, have a meal with me. The trespass offering was just for the things that you didn't know you did. Huh? The omission sins. Well, I know I did something, but I'm not really sure if what, what I did was wrong here. And so they just made it. Lord, I don't know what's going on. I just make a confession before you, whatever. Or if you sinned against someone and you had the ability to bring restoration, then you were to bring the offering of trespass with your restoration. So if you rip somebody off or you did something stupid and you, you know, you tore up your neighbor's lawn doing donuts on a Saturday night, you know, and the guy comes and says, hey, man, you tore up my lawn. That's a sin. You know, what the people were to do was to go, okay, I acknowledge that before the Lord, and here, let me pay for your grass. That's kind of the idea. So the trespass offering was always accompanied with restoration, if there was restoration. Do you guys understand this? So this is what the Lord required of them. Jesus has done all of those things. He's fulfilled them. And if you understand the principles of five, five everybody say this, five is the number of grace. Right? So we have three fives in the Old Testament. We have, the number, we have five sacrifices. We have five and five commandments. So we have five, five, five. So when Jesus accomplishes and fulfills the sacrifices, Jesus fulfills the ten commandments, the fives and the five. What is he saying? Grace, grace, grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. He's provided for it. That's the symbolism, the prophetic symbolism within the text. The prophetic symbolism within the scriptures. We have three, the triune God fulfilling the need of man. Grace, grace, grace. Just a little math, a little Bible math there for you. <laughs> we getting this? Are we going with this? You guys with me? Follow me? Tracking with me? Okay. So, so we have Jesus. So we have the, the Old Testament could not fulfill. Jesus fulfills it for us. Jesus establishes what the law could not do. 
For what the law was, what the Roman says is what the law was weak in through the flesh, Christ did for us, becoming like us and doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And what was Jesus' intent was to fulfill and restore back intimate, say it with me, intimate relationship. We have Christians, oh, it's all about relationship. Well, I'm having a relationship with Jesus. The Bible mandates or calls us unto intimacy, not just relationship. He doesn't want you just in the room. He wants you in him, in Christ. He wants you deep inside of his being, deep inside of who he is. And he wants to be deep inside of who you are. Whole other level. He provides rest within the relationship. This is all chapter 10. This is what Jesus did. He provides rest. says the priest sat down. The work was done. So there's rest in the relationship. You don't have to freak out and wonder if God doesn't love you. He loves you. Take it easy. All right? Next slide, please. It gives us victory over our enemies. Says Jesus makes our he says, sit until I make your enemies your footstool. That not only is Jesus, that's transferable to his people. Jesus through the cross gives you victory over your enemies. Aren't you glad? Is anybody happy? You have victory over you. Say, I don't realize it because we have to learn to operate in the principles of it. Creates a doorway for the Spirit. The Lord says, I will write my word upon their heart and upon their minds. How? Through the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus made the way for God to now inhabit the heart and God to now inhabit the mind. You understand? So where God is calling the people, he's calling them into faith. And in order for them to come into faith, they have to understand what's done for them. So this is what chapter 10 is. Chapter 10 is the context of Hebrews for, for chapter 11. So he's giving them understanding. Understand what the Lord has done for you. Therefore, we'll operate in faith from that point. Jesus broke through the flesh. It was the permanent removal of sin. It says if he, Jesus has done this, there should be no more offering for sin. And there is not. There's one offering. Christ has paid it. We appropriate that when we give our hearts to him. Jesus broke through the flesh. It says he did it in the flesh. What does that mean? It means he destroyed the prison of the flesh that man's spirit could be free. And then attached to this, everybody ready for this? So after Jesus, after the, the writer goes through the ten, the chapter 10, and he shows them what, the, what, what was done, he now sets them into a context of how they should live. And he gives them commandments. He said, I didn't think there were any commandments in the New Testament. Oh, there's lots of them. There's lots of them. And, you know, and I, we somehow think that obedience is obligatory or whether or not we feel like it. Well, if I feel like it, if I don't, God says, actually, obedience is greater than sacrifice. So I'm just going to sacrifice the Lord. The Lord's like, I'm not so much as interested in sacrifices. I am interested in doing what I already told you to do. Any parents in the room? <laughs> just do what I told you to do. <laughs> What are, the ten, what are the commandments that, G, that are given to us in light of what Jesus has done? Number one is draw near. Draw near with a pure heart and a pure mind. The commandment upon the Christian is to go into intimacy. Say it with me. Intimacy with the Spirit is not an option. It's a command. This is why we don't activate kingdom in our lives oftentimes and why the Christian is yet to be transformed because we don't understand the principle of drawing near. We are to draw. Jesus has done this for you. And look, it's, a, it's actually all these are written in, in Greek. It's called emphatic imperative, which means it's a command. So when it's structured, when the, when the verse is structured as an emphatic, compar, emphatic um, imperative, it means it's not an option. It's a command. Draw near. It doesn't say if you feel like it, draw near. If you're, you know, if you're really in the mood today, draw near. It's a command. 
draw near. What does that mean? It means you can make yourself draw near. Got some Christians that need to take themselves and make themselves draw near. Jesus isn't going to do it for you. You have to draw near. Awake, my soul. I will praise the Lord. I will draw near. Holy Spirit, now move in me. You feel barriers? Push the barriers away. Now, now move in me. Draw near. Hold fast the profession of your faith, for he who is promised is faithful. We're talking about this profession. Faith requires a profession. Everybody say this. I must, I must. open my mouth because faith requires a profession. Understand this. These Christians, you need to open your mouth. We are under the monastic tradition of silence. That's not in the Bible. Oh, we're just going to be monks and not say anything. That's not your Bible. You might, in order for you to even be saved, you must profess, Christian. Believe in your heart and what? Confess with your mouth. Huh? Everything is activated with our mouths are very important to the kingdom. But we just... Oh, shh, it's God's house. It's God's house. Yeah, it's God's house. Woo! Jesus' house is more of a, it's a, he wants a party. It's a banquet. It's a buffet. It's a dance party, you know? Consider one another. So he tells us to draw near, tells us to hold fast, tells us to consider one another. In other words, say it with me. It's not about me. Say it one more time. It's not about me. That's right. Consider one another. In other words, because Christ has done this for you, use what you've been given for others. And what does he say? Provoke one another to good works and to love. Through our intimacy, God is going to activate things in our lives that is going to provoke other people to jealousy. And you know what that means? Jesus is okay with that. He doesn't have a problem with someone being jealous of the blessing on your life. You don't have a problem with it. Why? Because he wants them to hunger for what it is that you have. He wants them to hunger for the peace, the power, the prosperity, the purpose. He wants people to hunger for that. Why is it that everything goes right for you, Noah? Why is it that you can, get, you can stand and, man, the wind blows down other people's houses, but, you know, you just seem to have an enduring quality to you. Where does that come from? Well, I'm just a magnanimously strong person, and, you know, my family's been that way the whole life. You know, that's not the point. I serve the living God. It is the Spirit of the Lord that sustains me. People see the glory in you more than you see the glory in yourself. Because the world has no glory. We carry the glory. And so people recognize things in you that you don't even see in yourself. Because it's the glory of the Lord. Hold fast to profess your faith. Do not forsake your here. Consider one another. Provoke one another to good works and love. Man, you see somebody doing something or doing you, man, you should be like, what? I want that too, but instead we sit in a corner and go, well, Jesus doesn't love me. He's blessing Susie over there, but he isn't blessing me. Well, maybe if you positioned yourself as Susie positions herself, or Johnny, or Billy, or Jose, or Peter, whomever, maybe if you positioned yourself as them, you would reap the blessing. Is that not what God said to Cain? If you will do what is right, Cain, it will be released. That's what he said. If you will do what is right, Cain, it will come your way. Well, I don't want to do what's right. I want to do it my way. I don't want it. Well, then that's fine. I had to have these conversations. I don't believe that. I don't think that's true. I don't know. I'm like, great. I don't even argue with people. All I do is tell them, change your expectations. James says, let that person believe they will receive nothing from the Lord, for they are double-minded in all their ways. The Lord says this, you say that. And off you go. So off you go. 
Don't expect her to just change your expectations. Just change, that's all. Doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Just don't expect to let that person expect to receive nothing. Just change your expectations. You know? The kingdom works according to operated principles. It doesn't operate according to the mandates of men. It operates according to activated principles. We have to be obedient and in the activation of the principle. Then he says, do not forsake the assembly. This is an emphatic comparative, imperative. What is it? We, we quote this verse, but it's in context of chapter, in, in, in chapter 10 of what Jesus has done for you. In light of all that he's done for you, when the assembly is happening, assemble. That's what he says. Get your butt to church. And he actually goes into comparing that to the forsaking of the Mosaic law under the Old Testament. Under the Old Testament, if they did not show up for Sabbath service, they were to be cut off from the community because they were to take it as an expression and a denial of the love that God had offered them. Because they refused to show up. The Bible says if they will not keep the Sabbath, now we're free from Sabbath law, but Paul writes this in the context in chapter 10. We're free from Sabbath law. And he says, just like under Moses, when they would not, it's the same idea. Yet we kind of think it's just, it's like church is optional. It's not optional. You need to kick yourself in the rear end, high karate yourself, smack yourself, whatever you got to do. Clear your schedule. Oh my gosh, I got a $10,000 deal going to happen on Sunday. Every Sunday is a $10,000 deal. I mean, that's great because the enemy is going to stack it up for you and he's going to try to keep you from fellowship. You've got to make up your mind who you're going to serve. You know, you've got to come to the Lord's house and receive his spirit, receive his glory, receive his instruction and come out of here powerized. That's the point. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together which is the manner of some. In other words, you know what that means? You're not some. You're not common. The manner of some, you want to be like some? Anybody want to be like some? I don't want to be like some. I want to be like the Lord has told me. I want to be the person that God has told me. And he mandates that we assemble. Church is not man's idea, so you know. It's Jesus's. It's his idea. And you know why he wants us together? Because there's power when we're together. Things come off us when we're together. Lives are changed when we're together. Everything transforms when we're together. That's the point. Do not cast away your faith. This is the next thing he says, which is your confident assurance. So he goes through all of that to end the chapter with don't throw off your faith. And then he kicks into an entire chapter on faith. Faith is not just belief in Jesus. Again, I, would, I should write a book, The Dumbing Down of Christianity. How we make the people of God stupid. We make the people, and it's not the people's fault. I'm going to tell you that right now. It is not the fault of the people. The, we, somebody told me this a long time ago. Kevin, you get what you preach. What you teach the people is what they will become. If you teach them to be shallow, they're going to be shallow. If you teach them to be superficial, they're going to be superficial. If you teach them the deep love and worship and admiration of the Lord, then that's what they will become. That's the idea. And so we teach the people that faith just belief in Jesus, and like, like a picture that we hang on a wall. Oh, that's just my faith on the wall right there. There's my faith. That's not, again, what the scripture says. All right, next slide. Faith is not just belief in Jesus. Hebrew says, now faith is substance of things hoped for and evidenced by things what is not seen. Faith is always in the present tense. Everybody say this with me. Faith, faith. is now. now. It's present. Faith is right now. It's not the past. It's not the future. Faith is in the present tense. Because the faith in the present tense is what activates the future. Faith in the present tense is what changes the past 
or alters the perception of the past. Faith is in present tense. It's substance. What does that mean? It's not always seen but can be felt. Okay? Now there's an obedience aspect to faith that doesn't require feeling, but oftentimes there's faith attached to feeling. It is an impression. It is a weight. It is a belief that you have in this moment, in this time, right now, that all things are possible. Things can change right now. Faith produces what cannot be seen. The unseen will not become seen without faith. Cannot happen. Faith activates the power of the kingdom. Very simple understanding, so we're going to go simple and we're going to go advanced. So let's go simple first. Faith activates the kingdom. Very simple understanding, Christian, is when you put faith in Jesus, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you activate power and that power comes in you. I know what I'm talking about. That power does not come in you or transform you without that expression of faith. But that's not the end of it. What God is asking us to do, because Jesus said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that, I, that, that I'm God and I was raised from the dead and, you, and, you, and I paid for your sins, you're going to be saved. Because we believe in that word, we express faith in it and receive back from it, we're transformed. What well, Jesus has a lot more to say about a lot of other arenas of life. And what he wants us to do is grow into a place where we not just operate on this simple level of faith where Jesus is a picture on the wall and that's the expression of our faith and this is all we're supposed to do is just this little simple thing. When we understand the advanced area, faith is to produce into every arena of our life. King's dominion, king's rule and reign into every area of our life. And it produces the results of his world into ours. We are world changers. We are family changers. We are changers of societies and environments. What is the world in which God is calling you into to bring change? It comes through faith. We express faith. And I'm going to tell you how we express faith. There's a conflict in an environment. Is there conflict in heaven? Is there? There is no conflict in heaven. Is there demonic influence or is there poverty or is there corruption or is there anything like that? In, 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 in that, to the Christian, is not to be in our world. Your immediate world, then it's go micro, uh, micro, macro, meta. That's how the Greek speaks of worlds. There's three dimensions of our world. Micro is your immediate. Macro is right around here, your circle of influence. And meta is the world, the entire encompassing environment. And so we're to use our faith and just, wait a minute, Jesus, this, is not, there's no, this is not in heaven, what's going on with me is not in heaven, so I need to align my faith and press into the promises and begin to do the things that God told me until, until my, my reality, truth becomes my reality. Then it's my family or my immediate circle of influence. Then it's my greater world. That's how it works. Where does faith come from? Well, the Bible tells us faith comes from hope. Say this with me. No hope, no faith. People say, I have no faith. They have no faith because they have no hope. There are no faithless people, but there are hopeless people. They have no faith because hope is the soil. Faith grows in the soil of hope. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For they that come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see right here, faith is expressed through hope. You cannot have faith. and Without faith, you can't please the Lord. Well, then where does faith come from? Faith comes from hope that God is good. Faith comes from hope that God will bless those who seek him. Literally, it means lean into his purposes. Those who lean into his purposes, the Lord will reward. That's the Greek. That's how it's structured in the Greek. So without faith, we can't please him. 
But where does faith come from? We come, faith comes from the hope that God is good. Faith comes from the belief that he will reward me as I lean into his purposes. The blessing will be activated. Everybody wants blessing. Come on, is there any, you're going to come here, you're going to want blessing. You come, because listen, do not be too holy for a blessing. You've got to understand, Jesus is a blessing God. It's what he did. Everything Jesus did, read it. Noah came out of the ark and he blessed him. He had Adam and Eve and he blessed them. Everywhere he goes, bless, 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 bless. Everything. You were created as the object of God's blessing. You got to get that. He's the blesser. You're the blessee. That is the whole purpose of your creation is to reap the blessing of God. And this is where we stop. But here's where we're going to go a little further. We reap the blessing of God so that the blessing doesn't terminate with us. We're to take the blessing into the world. We got that? Uh, freely you received, freely you... Right. Well, you can't give, you ain't receiving. You ain't receiving if you ain't positioning. I'm going to give you a little funky grammar here. But you... <laughs> you got you to position. You got to understand. So many Christians don't believe God will bless them. I had a roommate one time who used to think God was too busy. Ah, no lie. God's too busy. I don't want to ask God. He's just he's got plenty of things to do. I'm like, what? Are you crazy? Man... Father, bless me indeed. Bless me indeed. I am the object and the recipient of your blessing. I receive it all, Lord. And more and more and more. Ever increasing kingdom. Ever increasing levels of blessing. And Lord, may you give me the wisdom and the courage to bring it to the world. Bring it to the world. Begin to bring it to the world. Again, this is all you, like, what does blessing look like? That's the question, isn't it? Isn't that the question? Some of you, you saying financial blessing is, is, your, is what blessing looks like. Great. Reap the financial blessing, but you better be using it for God's kingdom purposes. And you won't even reap it until you start using your money for kingdom purposes. Some of you, you think, well, blessing is inner peace. Blessing is just peace within the soul. That's the fullness of the blessing of God that I perceive. Great. Then teach other people how to walk in that peace. Understand? What you receive is what we're to operate from. What does blessing look like to you? What does it look like? What does it look like from his eyes? What is the Father saying? And then what does it look like to you? Jesus asked his disciples, what do you seek? He never, he, all the time, what do you seek? What do you want? Isn't it obvious, Bartimaeus would say? With, or the guy sitting at the well or the, the, by the pool of water? Jesus walked up to a guy that, not, that, wasn't, that was sick, flying by the water, and he goes, he goes uh, do you want to be made well? He walked up to other people, and their circumstances were obvious. Bartimaeus being one of them. Guy, blind man, sitting by the side of the road. It always astounds me the questions that Jesus asks. What do you want? What do I want? I got a rag and a tin cup in my hand. What do you think I want? But it doesn't matter. Jesus isn't interested in, your, in, in, in obviousness. He wants to know, what do you want? What is it that you want from the depth of your heart? And you cannot pacify the Lord by simply saying, like we do in marriage, ladies do this in marriage. Well, he should know what I want. Ladies, no, he doesn't. Amen. Come on. He doesn't know what you want. Tell him what you want. And we think that's the way it is with the Lord. Oh, well, he should know what I want. He should know. I don't know why he doesn't bless me. He should know. No, make it known. This is what I want. And as you begin to make your wants and desires known to the Lord, if you will partner with that, He will refine them. We're so concerned that our desires are selfish. Well, they probably are. They probably are. And what you do as you begin to make them known to Him is He begins to refine them. 
He begins to orient them. He begins to shape them. But he can't do anything with it until you offer it. You have to offer it. Where faith comes from hope. It's impossible to please God. We must believe. Next slide. Have to understand and hope that God is good. God is good. This is why all this stuff builds on top of each other. Faith cannot happen in its truest form until you believe God is good. Anything and everything cannot happen or manifest or be made known into the context of what God has created it to be until we understand that God is good. You cannot prophesy correctly until you know that God is good. You're operating in prophetic word and all you're doing is giving people doom and gloom and all this other stuff? Your prophetic word is wrong. I hate to tell you. It is not from the context of God's goodness and it's off. Every gift manifests from the goodness of God. And until you understand the goodness of God or begin to embrace that reality, even without fully understanding it, nothing is going to happen. Nothing. God is good. It's the foundation of everything. He's a rewarder. That he is going to reward you. Thank you, Jesus. This is where grace and hope comes in. Hope is the fact that God's going to bless me. Hope is the fact that he's for me and not against me. Nothing can destroy me. I am an inconquerable being upon the earth. I cannot be conquered unless I quit. That's the gospel. Grace is he does it for me even though I don't deserve it. He's good. He's going to bless me. Well, who do you think you are that Jesus is going to bless you? I don't think I'm anybody, but I know he's a blesser and I know he will bless the least of these. And so let me line up at the front of the line and say, I am the least of these, Lord. Increase me. Grace and hope is essential. We have to understand this is how faith is produced. He wants you drawing from him. He wants you encountering him. He wants you in intimacy so that you can understand what is yours, so that the father can talk to his child and begin to comfort, counsel, and guide. We rely upon Jesus only for comfort, only when we're in a bad place. Oh, Lord, comfort me. Comfort me. And he comforts you. And as soon as you feel better, off you go. What if you stayed in the place and once he's comforted you, you stepped into counsel and said, Lord, counsel me. Give me wisdom. Give me affirmation. Give me direction. What if you stayed there? What if you used that same leaning to, to, to draw from him and begin to shift your purpose and identity? What would happen then? We use Jesus like he's just a bellhop. We go run to him when we have a problem or he's a firefighter. And he'll always put the fires out, man, because he's that good. He's that good. But he wants to bring you from this place. He wants to bring you from the place of minimal need being met to the place where more than enough to the place of significance. That's what Jesus is wanting to do with his children's lives. We have survival. Say it with me. The dimensions of the kingdom are, ready, survival, success, and significance. The Holy Spirit is driving his people to those levels. Survival is you're just barely getting by. He sends the rain upon the just and upon the unjust. He makes basic needs being provided for. Next level is success. What's success look like? Success, according to the scripture, looks like this. Enough for you and enough to share. That's success defined in, now, where level do you want to take that to? Well, go for it, according to your faith. What is significance? Significance means that your life actually makes a difference in the world. Jesus wants us to reach the place where we're not just in survival mode 
And we're not just relishing our world and success, but we're actually pushing into the higher arena, which is significance. Where the world may love you or hate you, but at least it knew you lived. Good God. Love me or hate me, but at least know I lived. Is anybody here? You know what I'm talking about? Nobody, well, you are not born to be common. I was thinking about this movie Troy for some instance. You guys see the movie Troy? Awesome movie. Dude movie all the way, man. Achilles, Achilles, Achilles. Yeah, totally. And he goes to his mother and he says his, his mother's giving him a word. His mother appears to him and gives him a word and says, what will happen if I go? She said, if you don't go, you'll marry a beautiful woman. You'll have children, but you'll be forgotten. If you go, you will not return, but they will write songs about you. And he, what did he do? He went. You guys know the story? You were created for that. You're created for that. I'm, my watch isn't working, so I'm having a problem. Where faith comes from, okay, we're going to move real fast. I'm missing, but battery's dead. You got a spare battery? Where faith comes from, faith comes from hope. Faith is a measure. So, okay, this is it right here. What side? So, faith comes from hope. We have hope, faith rises. Faith comes from God. The Bible says, have the faith of God. You can actually have the perfect faith of God. Did you know that? What does the perfect faith of God look like? It's when you're in the spirit. When you're in the spirit, you have the faith of God. You're there and you're like, all things are possible. I feel like I can run through that wall right now. You know, I mean, you feel like all things are possible. That's the faith of God. So we have hope that generates faith. We have the faith of God that we can access through the spirit. And we have the measure of faith. By exercising faith, your faith will increase. And we have testimony. Faith comes through testimony. Testimony. So somebody testifying of something, and faith begins to stir. Somebody sharing something about what God did. I don't know if you realize this. The revelation of Jesus Christ is in the spirit of prophecy. When you testify, the, the atmosphere becomes ionized. Somebody speaking about a, something that happened and a breakthrough. All of a sudden, that's in the air. That's in the air. We don't realize that, but that's in the air. Faith has now been released in the room for that purpose. That's another story. So faith comes through testimony. We have to steward faith. What does this mean? So we have the measure of faith. God's given every person the measure of faith. So you have faith whether you feel it or not. You just have to exercise faith. Believe the promises and do what the Bible says. That's the exercising of your faith, and you'll get stronger. You have faith from the Spirit. That's through worship. That's the perfect faith of God. You have a faith that's generated and lifted to you that comes through hope or the testimony of the Word. What faith requires is action. Say it with me. Faith, faith. requires action. Fourth book of the New Testament is the book of Acts. Or fifth book of the New Testament is the book of Acts. It's not the book of sitting. Faith, first four Gospels, Action. That's the message Jesus is trying to get across to us. Christian, here's the message. Here's the method. Here's the action plan. Go do it. Faith requires action. Faith must be activated. Faith is active and requires action. Faith evaporates. You have faith in the moment because faith is present. You must step into the moment. You understand that? Because faith evaporates. There'll be something in the room and there'll be faith released over you to do something. Give, serve, love, whatever it may be, faith is present and faith is with you. You must step into that moment or faith evaporates. 
I go to pray for people sometimes, and they're telling me their circumstance, and they want to give me a story, a really long story. And sometimes I enjoy the story because I'm waiting for the kicking in of faith. And if faith doesn't kick in, the faith of God, then I wait for, then I activate by obedience into faith. Okay, you understand that? But sometimes when they're telling me, they no sooner get it out of their mouth, and I can feel faith charging me, and I go hold it right there. Boom. Because I, and they're, they're like, and I tell people at the end, I'm like, look, don't think I'm rude. If faith comes upon me in that moment, I'm going to activate with it. Because faith evaporates. And if you ever pray for the sick or you're ever in those moments, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Somebody's talking to you, boom, faith is on you. Faith is here. Okay, you got it. And then they keep talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And faith evaporates. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you ever do that, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden you're like, where'd it go? Well, it evaporated. It was given and it evaporated. You have to step into the moment. Faith requires. You get it. I was in a room one time. Guy says, there's a miracle seed offering in the room right now. Believe God and sow your miracle seed. Well, I'm mature enough to understand. And so I step in and I say, is that for me? Boom. Faith comes on me. That's for you. You know, my flesh is like, oh, man. You know, but faith is on me. So, boom, I step out and I do it. And you know why? Because if you don't, you go home. It's not there anymore. And then your head starts to, well, see, that was just manipulative. It was just you were in the environment and just somebody manipulated you. Maybe it was the song. Maybe it was the persuasive words he was saying. And your head starts twisting all this nonsense and you're partnering now with the devil. When God activated faith and wanted you to step into faith. This is how it works, people. This is glory gospel. This is kingdom gospel. This isn't, you know, spin your pinwheel, you know. Land of my little pony gospel. This is the reality of the gospel right here. We're to activate it. Last slide. Make some declarations here and we're going to be done. What does that mean? It means you've got to do something. You do not have to wait for the feeling. So as I say, faith comes, move into faith. Faith doesn't come, move in obedience. You have faith. Measure of faith is given. So we have the spirit of faith, we have faith. Step in by faith, by faith through, through obedience. You do it because it's right and because it's commanded. You don't need a command. You don't need a feeling to get up and go to church. You don't, shouldn't wait for a feeling before you give to the Lord. You shouldn't wait for a feeling before you decide to serve and sacrifice. That love and feeling isn't going to come. It isn't going to come. We're, we teach people to be feelers. Woo! We just got to feel. Oh, I just, I'm just not feeling it, Pastor. I would serve, but I'm not really feeling it. I'm not feeling like giving up my time. I don't feel like getting here early. I don't feel like this. I don't feel like that. I don't feel like staying later. Do it out of obedience. Recognize faith when it is present. It evaporates. Confess and declare. So we're going to end it right here. And here's what it says. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. What does that mean? Faith requires a profession. You must learn and understand the word of God and begin to declare it into your world. So let's just give up. Out. We'll try to do a few of these. Ready? We're going to close it right here. Say it with me. God has not given me, say it over your own life, a spirit of fear. He has given me spirit of power, love, and self-control. Therefore, I will walk in love. I will walk in power. And I will walk in self-control. Say this with me. That's 2 Timothy. God loads me down. Come on. With daily benefits. Uh-huh. He is my salvation. You should confess that. I just declare today, Lord, that you are loading me down with daily benefits. I speak to the world now, and I command the blessing of God to come upon me and overtake me from all directions. I walk in divine favor. Come on. I am, say this with me, I am God's servant. 
and he takes pleasure in my success and in my prosperity. To say this, I meditate on God's word day and night. I will be successful and prosperous. Say this, we'll do one more. God makes all grace abound towards me. Therefore, I have sufficiency through the grace he provides and the abundance for every good work. Do you believe that? Faith must have a profession. Let hold fast the profession of your faith. What are you going to say? Huh? What's life telling you? Life's telling you something, man. Life's telling you something. Life's telling you it ain't going to work out. And I'm like, it's working out. It's working out. Oh, it ain't going to work out. And then all of a sudden the feeling accompanies it. Oh, I just feel like it isn't going to work out. And I keep hearing like it's not going to work out. I just feel like I just feel it. I just feel it. Oh, I just feel it. <sighs> Throw it off, man. Cast off everything that does so easily beset you. Throw it off. That feeling on you, encompassing you and dragging you down and taking you outside the purposes of God, throw it off. Like Paul got a viper that bit him as he's drawn near. He draws near to what? The fire. Starts drawing near to the fire. Boom, snake bites him on the hand. What did he do? He shook it off. Shake it off. Vipers are going to fire, are going to bite you when you try to draw near to the Lord. Huh? Some of those, vi some of those vipers are Christians partnering with the enemy and saying stupid things and doing dumb things in your direction. And other times it's other things outside of that context. But nonetheless, we're to draw near and shake it off. Speak back. Live and not die. Succeed and not fail. Above only and not beneath. Blessed am I coming in. Blessed am I going out. Millions of dollars are coming to me from all directions that the kingdom might be established and the purposes of God may go forth in the world. I leave a life of significance. I leave a life of victory. I leave a life of power because my God is for me who can be against me. I am an heir to the eternal world. What Jesus has paid for me, he has given to me and it is therefore my responsibility to bring it into the world and I will do it. I tell myself, I will be faithful unto death. I will bleed white, but I will not not serve him. Anyway, <laughs> I could go on. Party on, man. Let me bless you. Did you guys get anything out of this? Faith. Faith changes worlds. Read, read Hebrews 11. By faith, the worlds were changed. So let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace in every way. And may you forever abide within His favor. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a prayer team available. There will be people over here for prayer. If you need any kind of prayer at all, we're gonna be, we will pray for you. Don't worry if the second service starts. Worship only makes the prayer better.